It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome back to Signal Boost. I'm Zerlina Maxwell, and I am joined by Senator Tammy Duckworth, who um, we were chatting a minute before we started. I I have not had the privilege of of interviewing yet, uh, so we're rectifying that today, and I'm very excited uh, to chat with her about everything going on in this pretty uh, insane moment of history and time we're living yeah. through, but also about your new book, Every Day is a Gift, which huh, on a day like today uh, feels very aptly titled. So good morning. Uh, good and morning. Thank you so much for joining. It's my pleasure. Good morning. So um, I want to start with just how are you holding up? That's a question we've been asking folks first. Um, during this, what I think is a pandemic year, even though it's a little over a year now, mm-hmm. um, but obviously changed everybody's life um, in different ways. So how are you holding up through this? You know, I'm doing okay. It's, it's you know, it's, there's never enough of oneself. <laughs> yes. Especially if you are a mom who traditionally, you know, who works outside the home, although we're all working from home these days. Um, it's hard. It's hard. Um, but my daughter is back. My, my oldest daughter, the kindergartner is back to in-person learning, which was a huge relief. Yes. Um, uh, because the first part of the pandemic, the first two thirds of it, when she was in distance education was really, really tough. Like it has been for so many other families. Right. Um, and then of course, you know, I've had kind of an interesting couple of months with an impeachment and in, an insurrection and impeachment, um, uh, but then we've had some really good things. Then we've passed some really good legislation, which, you know, uplifts one's spirits. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny because it's such a mixed bag this year. I both felt tremendous amount of gratitude on a daily basis for the little things. But also, I'm having a tough time processing all of the bigger things you mentioned, like impeachment and insurrection within the same sort of, you know, three-month period. And then, um, not even three months, but but also a new president and a shift in in, uh, the vaccine distribution. And so it's like, I'm starting to maybe exhale a little, but also it's still the pandemic year. So it's so much to to think about. Um, Your book, Every Day is a Gift, um, one of the write-ups that I read uh, about it is, it said it compared it to Barack Obama's memoir. And uh, I, I feel like that is probably the highest compliment, um, right? I, I imagine you feel that way as a senator from Illinois. Um, but also, uh, you know, just in terms of your childhood and upbringing in, in, in Hawaii. So talk, talk a bit about um, how this book came about um, and some of the early things in your life that had a deep impact on you. Yeah, so the book came about really because of my six-year-old. Um, uh, about <clears throat> excuse me, eighteen months ago, she um, uh, really was, uh, you know, in pre-K, and um, I started going to parent-teacher things or the field day, you know, or or the Halloween fest or all of that. And it was the first time she really understood that mommy was different than the other mommy because I didn't have legs and I was in the wheelchair. I'd be the only mommy in the wheelchair, and I couldn't participate in the you know, the, the potato sack race, or, you know, she wants to learn to ride her bike and I can't be, I can't 
help her with that. Um, and she, you know, at night, she and I have our personal time. That's mommy Abigail time. It's, it's her time with me. And I read to her. And then she just asks me whatever questions she wants. And she just asks, mommy, why did you do it? And you lost your legs. I Then it hurt. Yes, it hurt a lot. Um, but why did you have to go to war? Why mm. did you go? And how come somebody else's daddy or mommy didn't, you know, why? Oh, how come they, they couldn't go? Why did you go? And that was really for me the impetus for writing the book um, was to, I just started writing little paragraphs explaining why it was worth it, why America was worth it. And, um, you know, in my, on the notes app on my phone, literally, <laughs> so I was oh, yeah. traveling, you know, and before I knew it, I had enough for a book proposal. And I realized that I wanted to write a book that would be a love letter to my country. Mm-hmm. To ex- but really the purpose of it was for my daughter. So they, they, they would understand that to this day, I believe that America was worth it. America is worth a sacrifice. And so um, that's why I told the story because I normally, I never would have plan- written a biography and, um, you know, a memoir ever before. Maybe I would have written a book about all the characters at Walter Reed. And I touch in the book, I touch on them a little bit. Yeah. Um, but there were such great characters at Walter Reed and all the wonderful people along the way who saved my life. But um, I never thought about writing a memoir until, until my daughter, you know, asked me that's that tough a- question. Well, that's such a a poignant moment and it has to be both, um, you know, a moment where you want to be completely honest, but also, you know, you want to be compassionate um, because you're mothering in that moment. Mm -hmm. So you're both like a person and you're, you're, you're very, it's a very vulnerable question, um, particularly coming from your child. I mean, I'm not a mom, but I know from my friends, like those moments where they're asking you those really difficult things about um, the world. Are, those are those are the moments I remember with my mom. So that that's a beautiful story. Um, in terms of why you think America is worth it, I mean, I've been reflecting a lot on American history this year because we're living it, but also mm-hmm. because the history we're living through very much connects to the history of, you know, America. Very recently, um, I escaped Brooklyn with my cat early on and came to Virginia uh, to mm-hmm. stay with my parents, where I've been safely. Uh, locked down with them since since last year. Um, and so I've been thinking a lot about the history of Virginia. Um, and we, we, we just went through a racial reckoning in the middle of a pandemic, which is uniquely American uh, in, in many ways. Um, so I just wanted to ask you to reflect on why you think America is worth it, given the fact that we, we have a complicated history. And a lot of that has come, come to the fore right now uh, during this pandemic. And so it's a good time to think, think about what, what makes America great. Um, but also, but not even in the Donald Trump type of way. Um, but also, you know, the ways in which we, we still need to evolve. Yeah, because we are evolving. I think that's what makes America great is we have these ideals that are literally founding fathers, right? Because the the mothers were not allowed to get involved back then. And and, and the fathers and mothers of color were not allowed to get involved back then. But our founding fathers had this ideal for this country. And we've been evolving all along, trying to reach that ideal. And we've never reached the ideal, but but we continue to grow and change. And and as we grow and change, um, uh, more voices and more people are able to join and try to reach that ideal. And as long as we're still striving for that ideal, I think it's worth it because nowhere else can, can that happen. 
I mean, right. there are there are other democracies mm-hmm. in the world, but none like this one. Right. Um, and I and and you know, I I've been reading this book that Dick Durbin, the senior senator from mm-hmm. Illinois, my mentor, um, um, by Carol Anderson. It's called White Rage. And mm-hmm. I really highly, you know, it's, it's a great book and, and, and it's really tough reading, but it talks about how every time in our nation's history, we've had a civil rights um, a leap forward in civil rights, mm-hmm. we have pendulum swung back um, and then we go forward again. And it's in fits and starts. It's not, you know, we're, we're not some magical democracy that was birth whole and perfect. No, we are that imperfect union. And so um, I wrote this book as a love letter to sort of lay out what America was and has been for me. And, and all along the way, any time that, you know, life was difficult or when my family and I were on our knees and, and we didn't know if we were going to make it, but mm-hmm. we didn't give up, this nation didn't give up on us either. Mm-hmm. So that the social safety nets programs were there for me when, when I needed them, the food stamps, the, the school lunch, school breakfast programs, they were there for me. I've never said that it was an easy journey. And, and I will tell you, I, I never worked harder in my life. I say this in the book, mm-hmm. I never worked harder in my life than when we were at our poorest. So I have these, you know, conversations with my colleagues who, you know, often on the other side of the aisle, I was like, well, if you just, if the poor people would just work harder and get off the food stamps and, and, and pull themselves up by, by bootstraps. And I, and, you know, I said, I take exception to your definition of American exceptionalism. You know, American exceptionalism isn't, you know, becoming a millionaire. It's actually, right. it's actually not giving up. And by the way, I'm from the Midwest. I am from mm-hmm. a prairie state. And I will tell you that that American, rugged American individualism um, was not what conquered the prairie. It was literally <laughs> communities of people in covered wagons who banded together right. and helped each other plow fields and help each other raise a barn. That's what mm. built America. So um, uh, let's think of ourselves as a community and how we can work together and welcome new voices into that community and new voices to the places of power. Yes. In that community. Yes. I, I feel so strongly about this, this point you're making about just the need for sort of a shift in who's in, who's in charge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and thinking through, I mean, even your, some of your fellow senators, you know, when you really list it out, you're like, they are older um, <laughs> and of a different generation. Um, I like to think about things in sort of the, I use my parents sort of as my reference point. So like my parents were born um, after Brown versus Board of Education, but with segregation still in some places in the United States and including, you know, in parts of New Jersey. Um, And my my mom's father worked on those issues um, as an activist at the time. So that's like my reference point. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, there's senators who like they were here for separate but equal. They were here for uh, many of the things that we see in black and white footage. Um, And sometimes I feel like that impacts the way that they see issues today. Do you think, do you get the sense that we just lived through an insurrection, which to your point, my cat likes to join some of these often. I love it. If there's a Uh, cat or a dog, it needs to be in the zoo. That's just the the rule. If you you mention it, you have to show. There's like 10 interviews with him in the background that I have. That's great. Um, That's great. It's, say hi, Michael. Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I think that when I think about the insurrection, I think about the connection between these periods in American history where there was the violent backlash to progress. 
You lived through the insurrection though, right? I, I mean, a lot of the things that we talk about, we read about it in a book. You lived through something um, mm-hmm. historic. What was that like? What was, I mean, what, what, what were you thinking in the moment? Because you're not thinking about the historical context in the moment, but no, just I was reflect angry. On, on all of that. Oh yeah. yeah. I was angry. And I've become more and more betrayed as, as time is feeling more betrayed as time has gone on, as I've learned of more servicemen and women and veterans, some actively serving and some veterans um, who participated. That for me was a real betrayal that they um, would trade one oath of office uh, that they took when they enlisted in the military um, for a different oath um, and an oath to Donald Trump, an oath to... yeah. Uh, uh, the Proud Boys, an oath to what? Um, uh, and, and that for me was a real betrayal because those are my brothers and sisters in arms who were we both downrange in Iraq. I would have done anything to go save them. Um, and yet they took that same flag that we both wore on our uniform yeah. and used it to beat Capitol Police officers right. and break down the doors of oh, our Capitol. Michael. Michael, you can't get on um, this part of the table. <laughs> He's like, oh, um, so that for me is the betrayal. As for the historic historical nature of it, I mean, I think it's absolutely wrong that I am the first Asian senator not from Hawaii. And it took until 2016 to get to the point that we had a first Asian senator. All the other Asian senators and and, and the only other Asian senator is Maisie Hirono, the senator from Hawaii. And it's wrong that it's that, yeah. that you know it's taken this long. And and I am always, always honored when I am uh, 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 when my name is mentioned in the same breath as Barack Obama because I sit in his seat and I literally sit in his seat because I have his desk in the Senate yeah and in that Senate desk the senators you know they they graffiti inside the desk and you leave <gasps> they all yeah so what did he write book. Sharon <laughs> can Brown, you tell me <laughs> Sharon Brown, no 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 it's just your name Sharon okay. Brown wrote a book about the Senate desk you should you should look it up it's really interesting yeah but every senator signs these desks and I open up my desk and inside my desk is Robert F. Kennedy's signature uh, yeah. Barbara Mikulski, you know, uh, the first female yes. senator elected in yes. her own right. And Barack Obama and, and Paul Simon, you know, those are the names in my desk. And I will one day, you know, get to sign my name in my desk um, and, and join that list. And so the, the weight of history, um, uh, uh, you know, comes with the office that I occupy. But um, I should be the first Asian, uh, you know, uh, outside of Hawaii in, in the United States Senate. I don't know and, that I, I thought about it that way ever before. That is yeah. not okay. We have to rectify that immediately. Yeah. Um, well, up until Raphael Warnock and Ben Ray Lujan were just elected, um, uh, uh, there, were white, there were more white men named John in the U.S. Senate than there were people of color. Now there's that is not a good statistic. Now we're at a draw because I believe now, I think I'm right. I think now we are at an equal number of white men named John and people of color. That is still not good. And so those people at the seats of power are important. And the people at the seats of power who have life experiences um, are important. We need more people who like me were on food stamps. You know, I, I, I talk about, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, doing everything I could, you know, scraping by, you know, to, to come up with a dollar a day so my brother and I could eat the next day with our school lunch and school breakfast program. Um, we need more senators and more congressmen and, and, and more folks who've lived that experience. The fact that Kamala was bust as a child is important. Right. That is an important experience to have. The fact that, you know, when I served in the house, I, I got to do sit-ins with the great John Lewis, 
mm-hmm. um, uh, 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 you know, who is now an angel watching over us, although he was an angel on earth, yeah. um, even before, you know, that matters, that lived history matters. Um, you know, you, it's important to have legislators who are on the other end of the stick being beaten, <laughs> right. were beaten to be there to talk about civil rights. And, and, and now with the voting rights issues of voting rights and all that, you know, we need people who've been on the receiving end um, to be finally at the, at, at, in the places of power. But that's why I do believe that America is worth it because mm-hmm. even if it, it took until 2016, I'm here. And I'm here because Dick Durbin, a white man in his 70s, yeah. looked at me and said, I have a mission for you. Now that you can't fly helicopters anymore, you need to represent, you know, you need to run. And so um, there are allies um, everywhere. Yeah. You never know where your allies are. I believe he also is the person who nudged Barack Obama as well to run for the Senate. So um, more than and and also president. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. More than nudged. That That was an anecdote in one of one of the books that I read. Maybe Game Change. Um, Yeah. But uh, it's it's so interesting to think about all of that and the need for for lived experiences. um, You know, in our in our body politic, like the people Mm -hmm. that are making the laws. They should have these lived experiences because these laws affect people's lives. That seems like an obvious point to me, but it's yeah. also one that's getting more momentum because you have more lawmakers like you who have that um, perspective on, on what you do. Um, what is it like to be in a Congress though with like Ted Cruz? Because that is not, <laughs> not his perspective. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting. I actually um, will tell you that I've had in the book, I talk about how I've had um, unusual friendships, like I, be, I, I you know, um, uh, along the way. And um, uh, for me, it's just always based on if you love this country as much as I love this country, um, I can work with you. I'm just going to assume that you're just coming at the problem from a different perspective, but that really your intentions are good. And as you truly want to make this a more perfect union, you truly want to serve this nation. I will tell you that Donald Trump, has made a lie of that for me because I don't think Donald Trump loved this country as much as I love this country. Mm. Um, and so it was really hard <clears throat> to work with the likes of him, but with the other members, you know, I still take that, I still take that attitude. And, and so I have actually been able to pass legislations and, and found allies and, and folks that I can work with. And, and it has been very interesting um, to uh, try to find that common ground. And, and, and it's really, you know, I mean, we just passed legislation out of the house, I'm um, out, also out of the Senate where I'm the chairwoman of, of the water, Fisheries, Wildlife and Water Subcommittee, but we just passed a major water infrastructure bill. And I've been working on getting lead out of drinking water supply since mm-hmm. um, Flint, Michigan, when I was in the house and I worked on it. Um, we, were, we voted it out unanimously. There's significant money, $500 million for infrastructure wow. investments and specifically for um, getting lead out of water supplies. And my allies in it were... Senator Lummis from Wyoming and, you know, Senator don't talk about from West lot. Virginia. You know what I mean? <laughs> two very conservative yeah. voters. You know? yeah. uh, I mean, and I think Senator Lummis even, um, sorry, voted to decertify the ballots on some of the ballots on, on January or on January 6th. So you can find a way forward if you just look hard enough for common ground. I, I have to say, I didn't find that in Donald Trump, but in everyone else, I continue to, to try. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I, I think that that's actually you know, such a good and balanced mindset um, because I think there was enough evidence with Donald Trump. I mean, it, it's not like 
you know, you're, you're, where anyone is pulling that out of thin air. There is plenty, he gave us mm-hmm. plenty of opportunities to make that assessment. Um, mm-hmm. When we're, we're, we have a couple more minutes here and I wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, just, just end with um, your thoughts about this moment in, in the rise in AAPI hate and also that being coupled with that being in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and it's related to Donald Trump's uh, language about that pandemic. Um, you also had the horrific mass shooting in Georgia. Um, and both people are living through the pandemic, which is traumatic. Uh, and there are mass shootings, which result in, you know, certain types mm-hmm. of trauma. Um, what are your, what are your uh, feelings on just how the best way for people to sort of day to day try to push through this trauma that I, I feel every day. I'm like, I think it, it's happening. I feel it on my body, but um, just trying to sort of, you know, move forward in this really difficult moment in so many ways. Yeah, I think there's sort of two things. Um, I started thinking about this during last summer when all the Black Lives Matter protests were going on and many of my staff members were very deeply, deeply affected and uh, both in terms of their personal family members who were beaten and incarcerated uh, for showing up at protests to those who just, you know, uh, lived in some of the neighborhoods. And, and so we, we took a lot of time in my office to acknowledge and try to be there. And the only way that I could be there for my staff members was just as an ally, because I've not lived the Black experience in this country. My, my experience has been that of an other. Um, uh, but on the other hand, my family heritage uh, doesn't automatically put me and my family in danger the way someone you know, uh, a Black American is, right? Just by nature of being Black, you are more likely to die in this country in, in any number of ways because of the systemic injustices and racism in our system. So all I could do, even as I watch my friends and my staff member go through that pain, was to try to be the best ally that I could. And that's what I ask of people as you watch Asian Americans going through this um, uh, uh, and, and try, you know, just be there and say, I see you, what can I do to help? Um, and, and, and be part of that. Uh, and, and in the Congress, we have the tri-caucus. So we have the uh, Latinx caucus, the Hispanic caucus, mm-hmm. the Black caucus, and the AAPI caucus. And the three have come together to be, to unite because we decided that we were tired of three caucuses fighting over the one slice of the pie that is the disability right. that that is that, that is the that is the diversity slice right <laughs> you know yeah. there's enough pie for everyone we don't right. all have to be fighting over the one slice of diversity the one diversity slice let's have lots of slices for everybody right. so we bound we've come together and been each other's allies i think that is one of the things that we can do mm-hmm. for one another is be there for one another um, uh, uh, and, and speak up wherever we are i mean i before i got on the phone with you here i was literally on the phone with uh, uh, someone who was accosted with her mother um, uh, uh, in the Japanese gardens at the botanical garden. So it was a man and his son, they're both over six feet tall and, and, and literally were telling them, go home, you're not from here, you know, and, and you know, all this stuff. And, and she's like, are you kidding me? You're literally in a Japanese garden. Right. And you're you're like, me are you Japanese like, yeah. Mm. yeah, you know, and, but the other people around there just shrunk back and you know and i understand that the 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 necessary the necessity for self-preservation but she did a very brave thing she stood up and she caught him out and said that is racist 
And that sort of put it, you know, that sort of turned the table on her attackers a little bit. And she reported it as a hate crime, which is what you need to do. So I do think that we, when we're in that situation, my mom this past year has been um, uh, uh, verbally attacked at the grocery store. You know, she's had people say, I'm wearing this mask because of you. Why don't you go home and take your disease with you? You know, and and she's like, I'm just here to buy grapes, man. Right. (laughs) But also like. What? Like, I just, oh, yeah, so frustrating. you know, but, but, but the other people around her who were just as offended didn't say anything. Yeah. Right. Just like the people who watch that woman being beaten up in New York didn't say anything. We right. need to speak up and be each other's right. allies. Absolutely. Just as we are learning to do when, you know, when, when, when people are being harassed by the police or, you know, by those in authority, we, we're learning to speak up. We're learning to turn on our phones and, mm-hmm. and, and document it. We need to learn to speak up for everyone. Absolutely. I, that's such a good message to end on. And I hope everybody takes that to heart. Um, every day is a gift, which is just a true statement. Um, but it's a hell of a book and memoir as well. Senator Tammy Duckworth, it was such a pleasure to chat with you. And I hope we can have you back whenever you want to come on our show to talk about anything you want. Thank you. you. Can call us. Canna will give okay. you the phone number. You can just call it. Um, All right. But even <laughs> even if you want to make it formal, anytime, we'd love to have you. Thank you so much for joining. Please right. stay safe. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Signal Boost podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with more news.